0: This is a Pivotal Conversations podcast.
1: The challenge in business sometimes is people don't actually know what their skill set is. When you get into business with someone, you don't know whether you have complementary or overlapping skills.
0: So when you work with someone, and especially with both of us being very like disagreeable people and like very willing to dig our hills, and a lot of it was us just having to grow up yeah. and realise, hey, we're fucking arguing a lot, when really like we both have a shared outcome together, we both want to win. We both want to build something we're proud of. And actually, we both like each other. Hey
2: guys, if you're enjoying the podcast, could you please go and leave us a five-star review? Our mission with this podcast is to provide education and lessons from business leaders and founders for absolutely no cost. And every review we get and every bit of support that you throw behind us allows us to secure bigger names, bigger guests, and have amazing conversations. I really hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you very much. Lewis and Raul, welcome to the podcast. What's up,
0: man? Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us.
2: Uh, I was kind of, I think I put it in the brief that I sent across, but I'm, I think the thing that I'm most excited about on the conversation today is that a lot of the conversations I do have are in retrospect. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're either after an exit, or um, they are, you know, someone who is, you know, had the success there, there might be seven or eight years into the business. Um, And although I know you guys have business backgrounds, and and this isn't your first rodeo, um, you guys are in the mix of a startup, um, in a in a a world that's changing daily at the moment, you know, and and you also started your business in um, COVID, which, you know, I, I look back now and look at just how much has changed. Over that period of time, I mean, you know, things like TikTok. Um, the economy is obviously, re- you know, changing. So that's the thing I'm most excited about today, and, and I'm uh, you know excited to learn about, um, dive into your journeys before the startup, but then also dive into some of the lessons that you're learning in real
0: time, which is you know exciting. So yeah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Thank man. you. And I think you know, um, just to comment on like starting anything during COVID. Uh, I've listened to some of the people you've had on it's really interesting to see where they go and start to really blow up right and you know we're huge admirers of of Steph Claire Smith and um what Keeper Cleaner have done and you know what uh Franks have done you know that's really incredible products with the right time um and I don't think there could be a worse time to try and start anything when there's like a global pandemic right um and you know the sort of interesting observation that I had just sort of thinking about a pandemic is you typically have to worry more about, am I going to be alive? than is this business gonna succeed? And once you can kind of uh, navigate that uncertainty, you know, which is potentially your impending death, then you know, startup death doesn't seem as bad, right? But I would say that you know, at the same time, right, you have um, extra levels of introspection And I think that for us, you know, starting during a pandemic, particularly trying to work with supply chains, trying to work with international partners, trying to, um, you know, get investors from overseas who pretty much think the world's changed, they're only focused on certain areas, you know, it requires you to really think about what your brand values, uh, what your brand is trying to do and what you think you can shift the needle with, because um, nothing's more important than human life at that particular time. So once you can get over that, you've really thought about what's more important. For us, it was like, okay, we can't even really communicate with each other as freely as we'd like, you know? Um, We can't see each other. I was in Melbourne, uh, sorry, Ra was in Melbourne, I was in Wellington, Uh, anyone in Melbourne was going through absolute hell, right? You know, they were really locked down. So we had to use the time to try and be extra thoughtful and then perhaps, you know, have extra conviction in what we wanted to build. And so for us, tomorrow was really, Um, a factor of learning what those things were and then putting that out to the world.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think, I mean, that's one thing I'm excited to dive into with you guys is like the startup story and kind of how did you actually come up with the idea, like what was the spark to get into this space? Because I get a feeling there's going to be a pretty cool answer there Um, and and some great insight because I think, and and you guys can touch on this, but like when you are going through a phase like... um, we've just gone through it is a bit of a reset you know mm. like I think that's probably one of the biggest insights from from my perspective is like I've never really gone through a recession as an adult you know um and and or more uh, you know the kind of like 2008 I was you know I can't I, I can't tell you off the top of my head but I wasn't I wasn't an adult you know and I did wasn't aware of business cycles and uh, and so on and so it's interesting, right? Like you're going through a period um, where you kind of get hit with this pandemic and then there's a lot of information out there. But the one thing that I've realized and started to feel was that the tide is turning. And so we're gonna enter just another, you know, uh, long period of innovation, you know, and, and it's gonna be the start of a reset. Um, and, and, you know, the, the best times to start businesses you know, um, from what everyone says and what experts say is, is, in, a, in, a, is in a period of, Agree. Um, you know, or in that, that turn. So yeah. what, what give me an insight into the startup story. Like, how did you guys begin? Where did the idea come from? And, um, you um, know, you guys, you know, um, have been out and, and um, you, know, uh, being, you know, being backed
0: and, and so on. So, so can you give us an insight into that story and how it started? Yeah, well, um, at the time, Raoul and I were living together in San Francisco. We lived in, like, the absolute hacker house, right? It was, like, MIT guys, um, you know, people coding during the day, trying to build things, you know, to launch into Y Combinator. Um, You know, our flatmate built a venture-scale business that raised $20 million sort of some months later. And, you know, frankly, like, Raoul and I were both quite kind of burnt out. And, you know, he was in New York at the time working at Uber, I had my first software company, which was venture backed. Um, and you know, typically you'd think things were going well, um, but actually we needed something to give us a bit of a break from this kind of like constant, always on lifestyle. So we joined a gym, like that's like the first obvious thing one can do. Um, but we joined Equinox, which I'm not sure if you're familiar with, yeah. but you don't go cause it's got a bench press, you go cause they have cold eucalyptus towels and they have steam rooms. And it's like this really nice experience at the end of it where you get this little reward for yourself. And they provide free skincare products and it was a well-known brand. Um, But for us, it was like, what the hell is an amino acid face wash? These don't smell that good and they actually kind of make you clammy afterwards. So we'd leave the gym feeling really sweaty. I've always had skin problems from a young age. I had acne, it really affected my confidence. And so when we sort of looked at what I would use and I had my whole routine planned out and I was quite advanced in this, Raul has this incredible mind for utility He thinks of things as, well, we could probably take what you enjoy and make this a lot more utilitarian, right? It doesn't have to be this complex. What are the basic steps? How can you take that experience of, like, Equinox and that idea of a spa and combine that into skincare that actually works? Why does it have to be one or the other? Why can't it be four seasons as well as, like, something that a dermatologist would say works? And there are active ingredients that do that, and there are certainly experience in the products that can do that. And so our view was, let's make that happen, right? Because that should exist. And we feel that should exist because it made us feel good. And it certainly felt good for us going to the gym and having that experience. So we wanted to take that and, and, and naturally think about how we could scale it. And skincare was that category because it's a product that you can build and then release and then continue to formulate and grow off the back of and get to more people fast. My follow-up question is going to be on brand.
2: Sure. and And the reason is because I think... I mean, when I look at your product, I think what you've done really well is you've obviously seen this gap in the market, right, which is the first step of of any, you know, um, business. But I think the thing that I'm most interested in is um, how you guys have seen your brand on the back of this, right? Because you just mentioned that you were quite advanced. So you guys knew what you were looking for from a product perspective from the beginning. But then obviously the next step is, all right, well, how do we, what are we wrapping around this product to actually, you know, Get it off the ground, and, and you know what 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 um, segment of the market are we actually really going to go for? Mm-hmm. But I want to back up before we go there because yeah. it's not every day you speak to people and they're like, yeah, we're like we we were living in San Francisco, <laughs> what, you know, you were working for Uber, yep. um, Raul, yeah, um, and you know, obviously yourself in a in a business where you know venture backed software company, um, and and you guys are you know um, young. Right yeah. in in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. So so, I want to touch on the journeys that you were both on before that. Yeah. To give some context to where how you've gotten to where you are today, and I think also talk about one of the things I'm one of the reasons I was really excited to talk to both of you is the lessons that you're bringing into business to be able to accelerate the process. And I think the reason I am because I. I've owned businesses now for a while myself, and like this being a new business for myself, it's like things are just moving quicker and you know what to do. So I'd love to touch on your journeys individually, you know, yeah. and, and then obviously together, and, yeah. and then we can start to, to, to dive into some of the principles and, and things that you kind of brought across with you.
1: Yeah, absolutely, I can go first. So I think I would describe my journey up until starting the skincare brand as the archetypical uh, ethnic child born in australia get good grades in high school go to a good university do a commerce degree during commerce degree identify which career is going to make the most money it was investment banking at that time get job at investment banking work 100 hours a week miserable the only joy was partying on the weekend and start to have this sort of itch and burning desire to do something with more purpose and meaning, which at that time felt like starting a business, but I didn't feel that I had the skills or the experience to go out on my own at early 20s. So spoke to another guy and he said, I've heard of this innovative, disruptive technology company that's shaking up the taxi industry and they hire uh, defected investment bankers to do operations, I think that's perfect for you. Google, Uber, had never heard of it, tried the product out, it was incredible, applied, was fortunate enough to be one of the first, I think, 10 people in the Melbourne office. Spent a year there working on the taxi product, so at that time Uber was actually illegal in Australia and there was some wild stories there. Um, and was performing well and got tapped on the shoulder and they said, we've got this food delivery app idea. Melbourne has been greenlit as the second market in the world to test this out. Would you like to do that? So got to really go on an incredible journey, launching Uber Eats in seven different markets across the world. That took me to America. I spent two years in New York having a great time working, partying, living that New York lifestyle. One part of the story that Lewis did miss out is when I landed in SF, not only was I burnt out, but I was physically blown out as well. And <laughs> I told him. Lewis, uh, being a former, um, let's say, semi-professional boxer with a good amateur record and a good disciplined mindset towards working out, he always had the six-pack abs that he liked to show me, um, you know, after work, Look, he bro. said, Look, we need to get you back into shape. And that was one of the other key motivators behind going to Equinox. But I think, you know, from all of these experiences, one of the key things that I learned that was directly applicable to starting this skincare brand was in business, a lot of the time you get presented with these very abstract problems that you might never have encountered before. And when you're you're facing that, sometimes you can be overwhelmed and you're sort of like, how do I even go about doing this? And so the biggest learning is to just put pen to paper and start writing down a list of ways that you can solve it. Rank that list into priorities, right? So P0, P1, P2, and just start working through the p zeros. Most likely that list was probably 60% correct, 40% incorrect. At the end of that day, once you've worked through the p zeros, look back and go, are the rest of these correct, or do we need to change direction a little bit? And it was really this disciplined way of taking an abstract problem and turning it into a clear set of tasks that we could do to get closer to the solution. And having the ability to reflect and redirect where we were going towards that solution And I think that's really been, um, you know, drilled into me through the working experience. And one of the best ways that we sort of approach building this brand, because really neither of us have ever built a consumer brand before, but we do have the business skills. And Mm. so we can take that and apply it to a new field and have a very high degree of confidence that we'll be successful.
2: I love that. And so how did that, like... You, your previous experience yeah. in Uber, you know, it, is that something you learnt during those experiences? Is it something that you brought from, you know, prior experiences? And how did that play out in a sense, you know, in in your prior experiences? Because you you mentioned um, Uber, you know, what was what is now Uber Eats? Yeah. Like, how did is that something that you learnt during that time, or you took Absolutely. that knowledge in and that you used that to to kind of launch?
1: Absolutely, I think. One of the common things between investment banking and Uber is that nobody sits you down and teaches you how to do anything. And I think even more so with Uber, most people there didn't actually know how to launch a food delivery app because no one had ever done it before. Um, So I walk in day one and they're like, we need 2,000 drivers onboarded and ready to deliver food in eight weeks. You're (laughs) going to figure that out. Um, And so it's a little bit of baptism by fire, um, but you, you sort of go through by trial and error, you start trying to connect the dots. You talk to other people that have solved similar problems. So the guys that had done it for the taxi business, how did you do it? What channels did you use? What was most successful? So you start to lean on them. You do a bit of research in the market, food delivery had been launched in America so you start to look at what the competitors are doing there and what would be applicable and through that experience you definitely make a lot of mistakes I was yelled at a lot I remember the GM at the time had this little office that was actually open-walled and he would just rotate through the launch team everyone would be in there for half an hour and you know maybe two to three times a week he'd be yelling my name going what the hell is this right but you know, you've got to be thick-skinned and resilient because he did care about me and my development and that was his way of managing and I have fond memories of him but it pushed me to then adapt and be dynamic in how I approached it and by the end, we got to the result. A lot of things were done correctly, some things were done incorrectly but now I can lean on that experience for tomorrow. And so once again, I would say, you know, hopefully my process is better than it was at Uber Eats. It's still not gonna be like Jeff Bezos starting his next business. That's gonna be elite compared to us doing it. But I hope that over time, if I maintain that growth mindset, it will get better and better.
2: One last point before we, I wanna touch on your experiences Lewis as well, but you mentioned a really good point there. And I think a lot of people this is something that I've learned as you deal with high-level operators that have built you know or they're in charge of of large teams that are you know at 100 million dollar companies or you know hundreds of millions even billions thick skin right you know you I feel like you don't get that experience in life you know like you 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 know being able to handle conflict and then more importantly understand that this person might be yelling at you but it's not personal You know, everybody's trying to achieve something and sometimes that's necessary. And um, uh, how important was that to your growth? And, you know, did you experience people around you that maybe didn't have that same mindset and and it actually worked against them?
1: Yeah, I think that especially... So I think my thick skin developed in investment banking because those are super high-pressure environments, very small deal teams. There's a lot on the line. Any mistake can be very costly. Um, And the culture in that is quite ruthless and um, very alpha in many ways. Uh, So once again, you learn by being thrown in the deep end and surviving. And really understanding that in business, as you say, people are motivated by an objective outcome, win the deal, earn the fee, launch Uber Eats. you have to sort of separate that from your emotions um, and be willing to you know, face some conflict, knowing that at the end of the day, you're all working towards that same outcome. I will say caveat that every now and again, you come across some psychopaths that might be motivated by other things and be discerning and note that if you come across them, maybe they need a bit of a shakedown. But Outside of that, generally speaking, most people are motivated by good intentions, and I think especially in small environments like a startup, um, where it's high pressure, everyone has a lot of responsibility, people don't really know exactly what the right answer is, these conflicts are going to arise, as long as they're not psychopaths, you know, have thick skin, deal with it. And and find outlets that help you deal with it, right? I think one thing I used to do was go out, drink, what most people do. And ultimately that's not a very healthy way to deal with it. Since starting the skincare business, I've rethought how I do that. And I very much now view exercise as a powerful outlet. So if Lewis and I have a bit of yelling and conflict, I go to the gym, I lift something heavy, I, I go to jiu I go and choke someone at jiu <laughs> which is all, um, you know, acceptable there, but it's an outlet for that energy and you come back feeling refreshed and re-energized for the next day.
2: Yeah, that's great advice. I think something as well that has helped me is just adopting the same mindset as the person in front of me. Right, like you, if you have a different mindset to them, it's going to upset you. Mm-hmm. But you realize and you start to adopt the same mindset and say, okay, well, I've got an objective too, and then it just becomes a game of strategy yep. between both of you, and you you can learn a lot that way because you can start to look at what that person wants out of you and how you can give that person what they want, and, and that's how deal flow works. Right, you kind of find that middle ground, yeah, um, and then all of a sudden it's it's not yelling at me because they don't like me or you know if you adapt that mindset it can be that kind of that's when you can get upset you're like oh you know i want this person to like me because i think that's going to help me get the outcome when in fact you playing on the same level and meeting in the middle is what that person wants and Mm -hmm. and kind of going up to that level um at the same time so i think it's a really interesting topic i've you know especially for me like going from it's, it's been a different process now where we're dealing with people that are at a much higher level than what I was in my previous business. And so like it took a bit of adapting because you're not used to the challenge that kind of comes, but it's been great, you know, great learning for me. And, and um, that's something that, you know, obviously I, I think is really important when you start to deal with these high level operators. Like if you're dealing with the CEO of companies, you know they're gonna eat three times a week at a minimum. They'll probably eat you alive, but if you can take that, they love that, yeah. right? They're like, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think that's and that's that's what I mean by getting on their level and adopting their mindset because that's what they want you to do. Yeah. And then they'll like you. Yeah. And and so thinking I want them to like me is probably the wrong way to go about yeah. it. Yeah, totally. What about yourself, mate? So yeah. so you coming from a? I'd love to hear a little bit about your previous business. Yep. Um, And then what have you, what are the key learnings that you've brought into this business, you know, and kind of?
0: I I really think what you're doing here is important. So I might frame my journey as a function of why I think it's important that you're doing this podcast, actually. Um, And the reason that is, is because when I was starting and interested in doing entrepreneurship, it didn't exist. So, you know, I think we can all commonly agree that there's this overwhelming tall poppy syndrome that exists across Australia and New Zealand why do you think you can do that you can't do that you aren't steve jobs what do you think you're doing here right Mm. and so collectively i've always been inspired by wanting to build things i just get a kick off it i get a kick off trying stuff i get a kick off finding that people like the stuff and that's sort of been my collective journey from a young age but i would say that um, learning to execute and building confidence is something that you have to cultivate it doesn't just happen for some people it will there'll be some guys that get out of bed and, you know, they make Facebook or, right, or, yeah. or like Bezos will look at a report and go, okay, I'm, I'm selling books because you can build a database, library of books, and you will work that out. Um, I'm not really that special, and I'm not particularly good at anything, and I think it's important to sort of be upfront about that because, really, if you're willing to keep trying and if you're willing to persevere and if you're willing to be persistent, you might find something that works, and, you know, I think a lot of your guests might even fall into that category, and I think that the beautiful thing about what you're doing with this podcast it can show other people that they also could be in that category yeah so then really for me my journey is just about constant resilience building by building constant failure loops and i've failed way more than anything that's worked um, and you know most of what i've done has been by mistake but now i try to do things that i believe should exist and if you believe something should exist then i think the the way to go about that is to listen to what ryle says because i guess if we were going to look at our personality types that's like. Ivan Drago and I'm like Rocky, right? I just don't know how it works, but I'll keep pushing and keep getting hit and he'll he'll stay really fit and he'll understand the methodology and everything. And I think if you can, you know, not fight each other as Ivan and, and Rocky, but collaborate, then you can you can build great things. Um, and so, you know, I'm just a kid from New Zealand. Uh, you know, the school I went to didn't have access to anything. I wouldn't, I, I didn't know what an investment bank was to let alone try and apply for one, but I was told I was pretty good at writing. So I did a law degree. Um, and you know, three years deep into that, just didn't want to do it. So did anything I could to try and be involved in startups, uh, entrepreneurship club, which I founded, um, you know, try and build things on Shopify, which sold nothing. Um, and eventually you end up in a place where you work at a tech company. And for me, that was at the eBay of New Zealand and that sort of changed my trajectory. And I think looking for ways to change trajectory is like the main thing you should try and do if you're interested in escaping a regular pattern. Um, look at what could be a Archimedes lever and could help you move away from whatever it is you're trying to move away from. And for me, I thought software and technology is the one thing that if you can build a kernel of an idea, that could then move into many other voluminous idea points. And um, I tried a fashion marketplace like Farfetch, if if you're familiar with that one. I did that in Australia. Um, I took all the luxury fashion boutiques. I got them all online. I built a studio, raised a little bit of money, um, and it flopped, it totally flopped. Um, and the learning is, is that you don't actually understand why something will work or not work until you try it. It turns out it's still cheaper to buy things in Europe, luxury fashion items, than it is in Australia. But as a function of building that, I ended up having a software technology that would actually connect retail stores to their point of sale software. Sounds very boring because it is, and it's actually very important because if you have retail stores, you need a way to connect into those retail stores from online to offline. That just didn't exist. And so again, very serendipitous and I relied heavily on serendipity. And I think I also relied on the fact that I was going to be comfortable being uncomfortable for my whole 20s. It just didn't really matter to me if I was um, literally eating just chickpeas and tuna. And I think more people should be comfortable with that as well because um, I think, and I, and I was talking to somebody in the valley uh, who's built a, a billion dollar company, right? And his feedback on Australia and New Zealand is, we just don't see it enough. If you see it more, you know it can happen, right? And I think just sort of bringing it back to what this podcast does is you're seeing people do it. You're seeing what can actually happen if you get the marketing right, if you get the brand right, um, and more importantly, it doesn't really matter if you're going to take some, you know, downtime in your twenties. You know, I'm now 32. My twenties was, you know, an exceptional amount of learning, uh, which has resulted in the ability to build software companies now and build. Consumer businesses now, and, and you know, be able to take opportunities and assist those, and then also be able to partner with excellent people um, who otherwise wouldn't really look twice at you because you need to have some kind of experience. So my my journey is sort of like a mix of wanting and desiring that experience, and and really much feeling excited when other people want to do that as well, and kind of seeing that there's like a kinship within that, and you know, um, you know, to be here and be able to say that to me is really important because I think if someone watching this can can see a guy from Wellington who's just really just not that special, right? Like just let's be honest, right? I'm not that good at anything. Um, Start companies and recruit world-class people. Then all you really seem to need to do is just to start, right? And be willing to like take a couple L's along the way. And then to realize that your self-worth doesn't shift with that L, right? Mm. We're kind of taught to say that it's actually, you know, at at the moment it's like, if you lose, you're a loser. But um, I just couldn't disagree with that idea more. Yeah, it's such a
2: good point that last bit, especially around taking L's. Like, it's not attached to your self worth, and mm-hmm. it's actually if you can take that mindset, totally, you can start to to. Uh, one of the other points that you mentioned, which I really love, was like how ha- uh, the evolution of your company, yep. which was like you know you built a company on the back of a failure, completely right, and you kind of changed it into something that um had value in a market right um and i think that's half the battle and i think one of the key lessons that i think i took from what you just said was your idea should be based on a segment of the market and that segment of the market you just have to start there and and like and it kind of comes back to what you were saying as well Is like how you know, multiple ways to fix this problem, and so when you go through these different iterations of how to fix this problem, you just get a little bit closer mm. to maybe what will be this eventual service or product that will solve the problem. Um, and then once you re- and then once you start to get the feedback that you might be solving the problem slightly, <laughs> that's when things can really get going, and you use that feedback Completely. to compound, Completely. you know, get competitive advantage, create moats, and cool. and just kind of keep this evolution of the product rolling, um, which is just great insight. I think genuinely to someone who wants to start a business is you. That's how this started. You know, my podcast was purely an experiment yeah. <laughs> to figure out how does podcast fit into the game of business? Mm-hmm. Is there something there? Or more importantly, how does content? But then podcasting just seemed to be this really efficient way to solve the problem of content because TikTok was born and, you know, like, ANZ Bank can't just go making stupid TikTok videos of their co-workers dancing. Like, it doesn't get them anywhere. So, but then NAB come out and they start a podcast. And that podcast is currently in the top 20 every week. And so, you know, having that touch point. They come in here? Pardon? Do they, do they no, no, no. But just in general, that was uh, you You're know that was, your that was a true. really big. I look at that market and just go, well, okay, yeah. well, NAB's doing it. Where, where's Zane's z Got it. Mm. Right. And and if NAB's connecting with customers on that level, you know, it. it and I just kind of look at it this way and go, okay, well, you know, is there something there? And and so, but it's the idea of like, again, like we we just started. We got cool. We'll just get a studio. We'll launch a podcast. We'll give ourselves awesome. eleven months of runway. Uh, and if we get to that 11 months and we can figure out how to monetize um, a podcast or at least get one off the ground, we'll, we will know what direction we have to go in and we'll get that insight. And so that's what we did. Awesome. Um, and it just started from this idea, okay, well, there's, uh, you know, how, where well, this is the segment of the market. This is the kind of place we want to play in and let's just give ourselves some time yeah. to figure it out. And, and then you we went one direction and it was completely wrong and completely failed. Um, but that gave us the insight to go in the direction that is now working. And so I think like that's kind of coming back to your point of, and, and you know, more importantly, the collective conversation of what really, as, um, as an entrepreneur, kind of what your, your role is and, and learning from that. And, and you know um, I don't come from any or, you know, formal educational background. You know, um, I'd say that the last 10 years has been just trying to figure it out um, and understand business as a mechanism Mm -hmm. and and that collectively has compounded to a point now where I feel pretty confident of the steps to take and and that's kind of what you guys are saying as well.
0: Yeah, definitely.
2: Let's shift now to what are the... You you guys are well and truly into a startup. Yep. Um, I love what you're doing. What are some of the things you've done in the early days that have really worked Um, Because when I ask this question to someone who may be seven years into the journey, Mm -hmm. what may have worked seven years ago is not relevant right now, Um, but I think that you guys can share some insight as to potentially what is working
0: right now. Well, for starters, just to sort of go back, like we thought that we should build skincare products that people would love to use because they feel amazing and they actually work. When we started with marketing, we really focused just on experience and because our products are very masculine and we have masculine fragrances and we designed those fragrances with you know the first formulator from Aesop, and we wanted to take that kind of incredible sensorial experience and give that to everyone. Um, we had to work out what is the right messaging for that. And so initially we focused too much on senses when a lot of young men just want to know if it's going to work, right? They've just had such a bad experience with products that, you know, have kind of left them in the lurch. You know, women have been using skincare for so much longer. We wanted to make masculine products that are, in fact, genderless, but certainly at least connect and make the conversation between um, males and females an exciting one about skincare. Yeah. So testing messages for us was about, was about really just looking at what will people resonate with and then just constantly put that message out. And that resulted in some incredible um, results, right? So for us, TikTok um, was something that when Raul brought it up to me, I thought this is just not A thing, right? This can't possibly work. Um, But then we had, you know, videos get millions of views of variety, um, grew to sort of 25,000 followers on that in a short period of time. And, you know, since we launched in December last year, TikTok has just been this incredible way to spread an idea to a young community that are looking for something better. And I think the other point that's really important is we spent two years working on the formulations. So it wasn't really, when I talk about build things you think should exist... Um, really look at your product and ask yourself, like, is this something that if you stack it up against any other product, um, it's just going to get called out? We have something called vegan collagen in our serum, right? That's made in a lab in San Francisco using actual human DNA, right? They take that protein, they put it into a thing called a centrifuge, they spin it out, and then basically they're able to replicate DNA in a 100% PETA approved vegan way. And it's far more um, effective and also like completely sustainable because the, the the other option is to use fish scales or cow hooves and for us we were cracking up because if you read about collagen, people are just drinking this stuff and it's fish scales and it's cow hooves and it doesn't work because once you orally ingest it, your stomach acid burns that down. So if you're gonna make something, at least be confident that you know it's got something special to it mm-hmm. with ingredients that you know will work and then be willing to test and fail and see what might take off and I guess, like, you know, Rao can talk about just, like, that experimentation process because I'm very willing to just throw out a 1,000 ideas. Rao's very willing to measure a 1,000 ideas, and I think that's a cool way to, you know, combine ideas, right? Yeah, that would be my follow-up is, yeah. like, what's the
2: logic that you guys use when it comes to building a product? Like, yeah, you know, like uh, more of a process for someone to think about if they're new to business or they're, they're going through the same thing, they've got an idea, like, how do you – Yeah iterate and measure yep. constantly to find, you know, is this... Uh, have we? F- you know, how do you find product-market fit?
1: Yeah. Well, I think the first thing that Lewis and I were very big on is finding and recruiting who we could um, find as the best people in the world to do the, the things that required skills. Um, and so in particular for ours, you can break it down into brand design and product formulation. For the brand design, we found two world-class luxury creative directors based in Melbourne, Australia. They've had experience working with Stella McCartney, Raf Simmons. Um, And we go to those people because they have a real eye for high-quality luxury brand design. And, And the vision there was how can we create something that feels aspirational and luxurious but actually price it at something that's affordable and accessible for everyone. Because that for us is a real consumer arbitrage, right? You go through this full customer journey thinking, oh my God, this is going to cost me $500 and it only costs you $100. And you go, I'm buying that. That looks epic. It's going to look sick on my shelf. I love it, right? And so that for us was the brand design. Um, when it came to the products, it was finding the formulator that had the experience. And being in Australia, we were really fortunate to be connected to the founding formulator of Aesop and the perfumist for Aesop. So Aesop have just an incredible reputation overseas. They put Australian beauty on the global map, but they're very much focused on experience. So it's all about the fragrance and how you feel when you apply the, uh, the product And so what we did is we took that experiential expertise of this team, but we injected our focus on utility because ultimately we felt that the market was moving forward. It wasn't just about experience. People wanted skincare products that actually make your skin glow, Mm. that actually have benefits for your skin health and hygiene. So first we recruit the team, then we go through the R and D cycles. Um each iteration of the formulations, I think ultimately the key word to describe it is just be obsessed right And this is the first time both of us are ever formulating a skincare product. Um, Can I just jump yeah, in quickly yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: My I know the question that everyone would be asking when they're listening to this now is, you know what does that cost so so you know and and because and you know you might have self, self you know funded this i I don't know but that that would be the question that i know is going through everyone's head because you're going to the best creative directors in probably australia you know and you're going okay we're going there so so is like what does that look like because that would be the i know that's the question on everyone's on mouth right now you know yeah that's what they're thinking
1: so what i will say is we raised a modest amount of money. By no means have we gone out and done, you know, big Uber fundraising rounds. We raised a modest amount of money. But what we, and I've learned a lot of this from Lewis, who I would say is one of the best maybe I've ever met at doing this, is um, sell people on the vision, right? And, and you have to believe the vision. And so if you want to start a business, first figure out what your vision is, make sure you believe in that vision, and whenever you meet someone that you're trying to recruit, sell them on the vision. Then I would also factor in that it's going to take a lot of time to convince you know, world-class creative directors to join your team, right? It took us four months to convince them to join. Countless coffees, phone calls, hours and hours talking about the vision, ideas. You have to convince them that not only your vision is the right one for them to align to, but that you are the guys that are going to take their brand and turn it into something great. And the final thing I would say is be generous with equity Um, because Mm. if you can get someone to buy into the vision, then you can um, save yourself on the cash and give them equity Uh, but they'll only accept that equity if they believe in the vision. And so that for us was a huge part of it, coming up with this vision spending hours and hours talking with them, getting them to buy into the vision, getting them to believe what we believed. And once you can do that, you can recruit anyone in the world to join your team.
2: Yeah, it's and, and the reason I wanted you to touch on that is because I feel it's such a, you know, like for someone starting a business, they don't necessarily think that way unless you've had previous experience. Like you just kind of think, oh, well, I have to self-fund this and... you you can kind of forget that really you just have like and we talked about it before the segment of the market the idea how we solving the problem and then once you kind of get a gauge on that you can you really can go out there and create magic and that sounds that's like a you know a a loose term but it just means that you can make things happen and i think that's really because i know that i when i asked you that question i knew that that's what you guys did like you i can see just through our conversations even before we kind of jumped on the podcast but I, I like that because i think that uh, i know that i didn't do that in my early days and it was because i had no previous experience working for any company um, but i started a business and so you think you have to do everything yourself and everything self-funded and you don't give away equity and you've got to hold that for dear life and you don't realize that there's more than you know there, there, there's more than that out there and i think that's a really great point yeah
0: Absolutely. I would add that, um, you know, one thing as well is it's not just um, giving equity to the creatives. It's also getting um, the manufacturers to go to do smaller runs, right? You don't have to go out there. A lot of people that I talk to say, oh, I need to make, you know, 50,000 of these or 100,000 of these. You can start smaller, and when you get traction, up the MOQs, up the volume that you're building with. That's smarter. Do things that don't scale originally, and there's a great blog on this, and you can Google it. But I would also look at it and think... Most of the things you need to build today do not require immense amounts of money. You know, I also have a software company which has cost me nothing, but will generate substantial monthly revenue just by itself. You can do many things at once because the access to the tools and the talent and the skills that you need are becoming ubiquitous. It's no longer the case that a software engineer is this um, heralded wizard. Um, Open AI just released a tool that will make, you know, basically a lot of industries redundant, right? lawyers, journalists, like a lot of these tools that require objective outputs can now exist. What can you build off the back of that that makes an interface? Um, in the case of our products, like we wanted these to be luxurious feeling, right? And you know, just to be really upfront when people make products, like they ask you like, how do you want to price this? So they look at the price and they sort of reverse engineer it. We said um, a much higher price point. And then once they made them, we dropped our prices entirely. So be mindful of what they will do to your margins but at the same time think about what do you believe can happen in the long tail and you know the result of some you know many thousand customers so far telling us that actually hey these feel incredible and they're so affordable it's like yeah well shit, because you know they're meant to be five times the price we thought we were going after a different segment so <laughs> we're glad you like them hey
2: team if you're enjoying this episode please remember to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're tuning in on we do not want you to miss out on any of the education we're putting out now back to the episode i hope you enjoy i just wanted to Take a little bit of your time to say thank you to our major sponsors, BizCover. They are powering the podcast currently. They are the reason we get to travel and have all the amazing guests on, Uh, but they're also a really amazing company. They're a business insurer that are insuring Australians all over the country uh, and making sure that if something does go wrong in their business, uh, it's not painful and it's not deadly. Uh, If you're an e-commerce business, uh, having insurance is really, really important because Anything that goes wrong with your product and you are liable, uh, and with the way the economy is currently, um, and manufacturing and shipping and all of these things, and potentially stock going missing, just having your business covered uh, could save you a lot of pain. Uh, so, if you're interested in getting a quote, uh, it's super easy. It only takes you know, you can get insured in under 10 minutes, and there's no paperwork involved. Uh, Their the link is in the show notes. Go check it out and get yourself a better deal. No, a hundred percent. I mean, I can completely under, I, I can feel that in deep in my soul cause yeah. we're almost in a similar position. You know, like, um, I remember sitting on a call, an agency hit us up to, to partner <laughs> or, you know, to, to be an affiliate type thing. And they hit us up and they're like wanting to know about our service and stuff. And they're like, how the hell do you make money? Mm. And because, and then we're talking about studio time. Um, and similar to what you were saying before with the arbitrage, it's kind of like, well, you know, we think we've got a model that can deliver the same quality that a studio might but at half the price, and we think we've got the unit economics to really make that work. Um, and, and he kind of didn't pay it any respect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's similar to what you guys are saying in the, because we try to give this luxurious feel, this this high-end quality product, but we want to do it at a price that makes it scalable for the client. Right, because that's what really matters, and if we can achieve that eventually, um, we'll have that power. So I think it's like I love what you're saying with that because I think I can I can definitely feel that myself, um, and I think that what you were saying before around that arbitrage is, is a is a is a is a great strategy because, um, especially in in skincare, like a lot of companies have had their way for so long, mm-hmm. right. And and, mm. and I think, you know, when you want to penetrate a market, you've got to have a strategy. Um, yeah. And so you got to find the weakness. Yep. And and so that's kind of like I, I love that you guys are saying that. But I think coming back to yeah. where we were before, because yeah. I kind of took us off track a bit, but I thought it was a good point. Like yeah. I – as I said, because I think – I know that um, – I've come from the side of the fence where you don't have that knowledge yep. and you're not making those moves. Yep. And I think that's one thing that, you know, when I have conversations with people, I'm like, oh, we sh- you could be doing this and you can, you know, there's other ways to get this going quicker than just self-funding and, and don't, you know, it yep. might take you five years to get to this point of critical mass yep. where you can do it a lot sooner and a lot quicker, which I, and I knew that we, weren't, we were kind of past that point. But I want to come back yep. to what we were saying before that.
1: About the products, right? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the key word I would say, I would say two things. Number one, obsession, obsess over the details. And number two, coming back to that point around taking an abstract problem and turning it into a list, right? And so with that, take product formulation, something we'd never done before. What are the key things in a product formulation? It's the ingredients, the texture texture, the fragrance. Um, What does it actually do for your skin? So the benefits, the packaging, how does it dispense? Map out all these different factors. Maybe there's 10, there's 15, right? That forms your framework. So now all of a sudden you've gone from having no framework to a framework. So when the first formulation version comes back, sit down with your framework, work through each line item. Do we like the fragrance? Do we like this? Do we like this, right? Keep an open mind. And think about what your customer wants from all of these different touch points. So just to focus on our products, for example, with the texture, we looked back at our experience. When I started using the skincare at Equinox, I'd be hot and sweaty after a workout. I'd have Mm -hmm. a cold shower. I'd put on this really thick, oily moisturizer. I'd think that my body had cooled down. I'd step out into the Californian sun and I'd be glistening in sweat, oil, grime terrible experience. So every time I got the formulations back, I'd go, is this light, fast absorbing? Because I think my experience is probably going to be indicative of a lot of young men's experience. Mm. If you're using a moisturizer after going to the gym, you don't want it to be thick, oily, and give that post-gym sweat experience. Um, With the fragrance, we thought, This is a really funny story, actually. When we started, we'd go to Sephora and buy, you know, 50 different cleansers and try all of these ones. And Lewis once came back with this cucumber cleanser, and he said, this one's awesome. We should make our smell like cucumber. Try it. It's in the shower. I go and I try it, and I I start dry-reaching at the smell. I realise, because it's evoking a memory of gin and tonics with cucumbers, (laughs) which is the last thing that I want to smell in the morning before work. So then we researched it. We're like, why am I remembering that? And we realised that fragrance was actually really linked to your memories. Mm -hmm. So human beings remember through fragrances. So that then made us realise that we should, if we're solving a product to cater to everyone, it shouldn't smell like anything anyone has smelt before. Because if it smells like lemons, one person might like it, one person might hate it. So we created really unique designer fragrances. So we sort of mapped out the factors and that's how we, you know, start to turn the abstract into an objective process and we just obsessed over it.
0: Yeah, we spent thousands on skincare. Like, I mean, it was probably close to like five grand on different skincare products to a point where it's like, I've tried every major brand you could probably think of. And I think, you know, we have found that like for the most part, people have been ignored because it just assumes, oh, they'll just like that, throw that at them, that'll be fine. Mm. And certainly even with with females that use our products, they just love the price point and the simplicity. It's numbered one to four, it's everything you need for a elite skincare routine that gives you um, you know clear skin, reduces redness, removes fine lines, like these are things people care about. Mm. Um, but at the same time, it should feel amazing. And that's something Ryle's just incredible at, which is taking, perhaps it was like hundreds of products, right? Like, you know, and looking at it and going, okay, this should not be 700 bucks. What have they put in here? Like, it's crazy what skincare companies do. And because we don't come from that cosmetics background, we just resent the fact that people like sell it as snake oil, um, where we feel like, okay, what's fair? What speaks to, you know, all of the value points that we have as a business? And then what's something that we can scale based on just learning exactly what customers will like from there?
2: And I think, can you guys touch on the guiding light here? Cause I think like that's, you know, you're obviously talking about um, iterations of a product, measuring, we talked about price point and stuff like that as well. But like one of the questions I had earlier, which I don't think we really covered, but was more around brand and like messaging and and the segment of the market. Like that's obviously been the guiding light for you guys. Do you wanna touch on how that's guiding you in real time, you know going through that process of iteration to create this product because you're talking about price points you're talking about simplicity you're talking about all these things but really there is a guiding light there driving a lot of those decisions in those particular um experiences and, and things that you kind of were mentioning before
0: yeah well um we really believe that you can kind of start your day fresh anytime you want right and that the idea of a opportunistic and optimistic future is the best way to have an outlook going forward. Mm -hmm. Because you can choose to be cynical and you can choose to have a view that things aren't going great. But the idea behind tomorrow is that you can start afresh. And we want that to be something that comes across in our brand, in our packaging, and in our formulations. Because even if it's just like a small win, which is washing your face, putting on some moisturizer, and looking up and actually realizing, okay, I look pretty good now. I've got a little bit of a glow on. And I can go out and go to that job interview. Or I can go out and, you know, play on the field. Um, that's enough. And it doesn't have to be this, like, major shifting thing to, um, you know, make you want to go out and do something big. It can be a small win. And personally, I've used skincare every day since I was 13, and it's always been my secret little win. It's been that thing that makes me feel good. If I was going to, like, a huge um, venture capital meeting um, or, you know, meeting, like, a exceptional CEO This is that little win that no one knows about, right? This is that little thing that I have for myself. Um, And so when we build products, we think that they should be like a ritual and that, you know, four steps takes a minute, right? And within that, you're starting to give yourself a meditative experience. And that little meditation can just be putting your skincare on, it doesn't have to be incense lighting, candles on, you know, curtains closed. It can just be getting ready for work or going before bed. Um, and our brand represents that and it represents how we feel about the world as well. And particularly when we work with like Jack Guinevan or Taitu Ivasa, these guys can take pretty substantial pressure and then be able to be happy the next day. And there's a reason that is, there's a reason that exists. They have their own rituals and for us to be a part of that experience for them, I think it's something everyone can have and everyone should have. And so what, what we've done is given that to everyone. And you know, when we have these DMs, we get like hundreds of these DMs from you know young people saying, "I feel incredible. I didn't know that skincare was something that could just make me feel better." Mm. You know, and that that to us is a guiding principle for everything we do.
1: And it's it's one thing to add to that when we sort of reflected, you know, why is this right? Um, we sort of look at the current state of affairs in Australia, America, the UK, and the developed world as on the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, basically everything has been taken care of. And so we're now at the point of self-actualization, right? Our food, our safety, our drink, our uh, social, everything is you know fully optimized to the nth degree. So now it's about self-actualization and finding your purpose in the world. Um, and you're not going to achieve your purpose in the world if you have sleep under your eyes and you feel grimy, right? It's such a simple thing of, refreshing your face, moisturising it, putting on a serum that completely changes your perspective and mindset. It makes you confident, not only in the way you look, but in the way that you feel after going through this routine. Much in the same way we think about brushing our teeth, right? It's almost gross to think about stepping out of the house without brushing your teeth. There was a period in society where people didn't brush their teeth and then that happened and we think about skincare as that next step for people um, you step out of the house your skincare has been done you are now ready to go and do whatever it is that your purpose is in life and so we sort of work back from that we're here to provide people with a routine to support them in their journey of self-actualization
2: it's such a great way to think about building a product isn't it the ritual you know like um, for me what you're saying at the moment is my haircut you know like i i, I have to get sure. one every two weeks because i'm on camera and if i get on like beyond two weeks i'm like fuck i look like shit you know or like i'm not going to be confident um in even presenting you know or having conversations you know and and, and it's, it's such an interesting way to look at things is like you know great businesses are built on the back of products that become a part of Humans rituals.
0: Definitely. And you said um, you know, what changes between like say two thousand and eight and now. Our observation is we've moved away from the things economy to like the feelings economy and the experience economy. So like instead of the item making me feel good, what I do for myself makes me feel well. So I'd rather invest in myself as the new luxury. And you know, typically people are doing that across many different avenues right now. I think a haircut's a perfect example of that. And good for you. Like so you should. And I think we are, we're sort of taught to feel like these little investments in ourselves aren't okay, but we're fortunate that we live in a time that we can make these investments. And we should because what's more important than confident people in a world like today? Mm. What's more important than just having the ability to get up and try something and know that you're ready for the day? And I think if we could cultivate more of that confidence, then the future's looking great. And you know, if we can be a small part of that just by giving someone a nice smelling foam cleanser and a serum that makes you glow, then I'll be happy, and I believe that should exist. And I resent that all these fantastic young people who have all these excellent ideas don't have perhaps the confidence they should have. So then, when we partner with athletes and we partner with you know successful people and you know are mentored by them, we want to involve the conversation. So our community is about that self-improvement, that constant confidence that is only cultivated. It's just not like there. I don't think anyone wakes up with that, and you know I certainly don't right i needed to i put some serum on downstairs in your bathroom before i came on this right i feel good that's okay yeah yeah for sure <clears> 100 percent <throat> one thing i'm
2: looking at with you two which i really i love seeing is you and you've, you obviously can see that you and you've also mentioned this but you're you're a you know storyteller you know can sell the vision and obviously the you know product orientated how important is it you know, whether you're in a partnership or not, but to have both of those sides taken care of in a business Mm. Um, because, uh, you know, I know that for me, like I'm very much a detail on the product kind of person as well, Um, but I'm actually not a detailed person. So um, working on the product is probably not my skill set. I can definitely sell it, Um, but, um, you know, I've got people in my team and, and my partner as well are very good On the detail side so like can you talk to that and just how important that's been for you guys in the early days
1: super important i think we think about it it's like a sports team right you don't have two full forwards you have one full forward and one ruckman right um you need to have complementary skill sets I think the challenge in business sometimes is, firstly, that people don't actually know what their skill set is. So then you don't know... And and it's sometimes difficult to identify what someone else's skill set is. So when you get into business with someone, you don't know whether you have complementary or overlapping skills. I think the advantage that we had is we were actually friends for quite a few years before we started the business... Um, We used to talk about business, we used to go out, we used to eat together. And so I started to understand what Lewis's strengths were. He saw mine. He used to live with a gentleman that I worked with at Uber, and I'm sure they spoke a lot about me behind my back to (laughs) learn a bit more about my profile. And then we lived together, right? And I don't think there's any better way to learn about someone than living with them, right? Starting a business is a big thing, so, I mean... If you're going to commit to starting a business with someone, live with them for 6 months, really get to know them, see what they're like in the morning, the night because you're going to be talking to them most of the day. And in doing that, we see our complementary skill sets and that's really a synergy, right? Because that's going to make the the duo a lot more powerful than if we were both just super visionary but no one could put together the to-do list for what we need to do for the day, then nothing would get done. Um and I think the other thing is you know at the end of the day it's not just about the destination it's about the journey and so it's awesome to work with someone that's good at something you're not good at because you'll learn and learning's fun and you improve and so I'd say you know I was terrible at coming up with this vision or convincing someone to believe in this idea that wasn't there it you're was terrible. a future it was a future idea right but Lewis coached me, I learned through observation. Similarly, maybe Lewis's checklist skills weren't that good and (laughs) he learned from me how to put together a good checklist. And um, it's, yeah.
0: You know, like, let me tell you what I learned from like a a Harvard-educated coach, but really it's like a a shrink. You think you're gonna, and I, I, I saw this guy just after my last software company, so I was very lucky to kind of take these learnings. Typically when somebody is upset with you, or there's uh, sort of anything aggravating, it's not personal, it's a projection of some kind. So it's easy to take a confrontation and then want to push back with your own view of why they're wrong and you're right, right and wrong, right and wrong, which builds this total wall uh, of self-righteousness and nothing gets done. And I think a really simple framework for like working with anybody is asking, am I trying to be effective with them or am I trying to be right? And in most Mm -hmm. cases, you don't need to be right there's just no outcome that really matters for you to be right in other than to fuel your ego. So when you work with someone, and especially with both of us being very like disagreeable people and like very willing to dig our hills, and a lot of it was us just having to grow up yeah. and realize, hey, we're fucking arguing a lot and we're fighting on this stuff, when really like we both have a shared outcome together. We both want to win. We both want to build something we're proud of. And actually, we both like each other, right? And it's easy because this is kind of like a marriage, right? A partnership does that. You're going to have to tell people personal things and and build trust as well. And I think on that kind of, you know, more emotional side, you have to realize, no, like, that's done. This idea of, like, be a stoic general, like, there's times for that when you're at war, but you're not always at war. It's not a constant war. It's really just a case of being supportive as well and being willing to ensure that person gets your support in a way that encapsulates what a partner should do for them, right? Uh, And sometimes Ryan needs a hug. So if he needs a hug, give the guy a hug. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, I mean, it's a good point, and I think that's one of the biggest things in having a successful partnership, whether it's, you know, life partner, business partner, whatever it is, is like learning, you learn more about yourself through those moments, and you have to be pretty introspective, because what you're saying is true. Um, you know, I, I come from a, I, I would say my in my early days, you know, I moved out of home really early at, at the age of 18, and um, you you kind of, when you're that when you're that old and you kind of have to figure out how to pay bills and and rent and, and so on it, it, you 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 know, for me in the early days, it was very much was war. Mm-hmm. It was like every day was a grind and mm-hmm. you know, there was part times that were very, very hard. You were the only owner as well, right? Pardon? Was it just you? Yeah, you in the it? early mm-hmm. days, 100%. And right. so, but even just more around the fact of moving out of home, right? It was like, you know, you kind of have to learn all these things on right. the fly and if you haven't been taught them. But the biggest lesson I learned was, was when I got a partner, and even just in business, is like, you know, what got me to where I am is not going to get me to where I need to go. And so a lot of that is like, you know, I was fighting everything as if it was a war. And so when you get into a relationship or thing and you try to, you know, you, you, like what you were saying, this kind of stoic general, that's what got me through those early years, but that's not gonna, you know, like if I want to be a great father, if I want to be a great partner, if I want to, you know, um, you know, bring a partner into the business and, and we want to operate effectively, <laughs> you, need, you can't fight every battle with that yeah. mindset because it yeah. just will not work. You know, yeah. you'll drive more people away from you than you will be, you know, be able to get them on the ship. So what you guys are saying is just such a, a great um, lesson um, of personal growth. And that was going to be my next question for you is on, on, a, on a note of personal growth, what have you two learned individually that has made you better entrepreneurs, you know, in the last three years mm.
0: together? Yeah, I think definitely is moving away from pure stoicism, which we both can be, and we've both read Aurelius and we we like the book Meditations, um, is, is empathy. Mm. And it doesn't just mean to um, each other or to our partners. Uh, it means to ourselves and it means to our customers because I think that if you can't really be happy and love yourself in the sense that you know um, things go wrong and if you wear that on your, on your shoulders by yourself, it's going to be really hard for you to move forward. It's going to be really hard for you to be focused and present because you're just grounded by, um, I guess, negative emotion. Um, and empathy allows you to realize that's happening and address it versus mm. sort of push it to one side. And mostly what people are going to do is just, like, try and wear that themselves. Mm. Um, we've been pretty good at going... And, and this was something as recent as last year, going, look, man, I think we both need a break. You know, we've been going at this for three hard years. War. <laughs> um, what do you reckon? Should we have a holiday? Is that all right? And it's like, we're, like, apologising to each other for wanting a holiday. He, I go to Europe, he goes to the United States, we come back, and it's like, what? Why didn't we do this? And so you kind of connect like brain with heart and when you have that level of clarity you don't actually need to stop because you know that stopping is just part of the whole journey it's not like um you know has the fire um you know been put out the fire is always going but you got it under control and i think empathy lets you control fire more than uh, emotion and stoicism do because if you're too emotional with fire then house burns down as they say if you're too stoic with fire you just don't really there's no, There's no lie. There's no lie. You mm. got. To, you need a bit of a bit of empathy to understand yourself. Love that. I love that.
1: Yeah, I would say the biggest learnings, in addition to all of that, with I, which I agree with, is, and we're huge on this, is invest in your health, um, mm. and I think that. What we've learnt through this journey, first of all, starting off when we were in New York and SF and we were still doing the go-out every weekend, have 20 beers, eat the burgers, wake up on Monday feeling shit, going to bed at 2am, you know, doing emails till 1.30, all that sort of stuff, it's very amateur. Um, It's what you do as a kid. I think we have grown up during this journey. We now hold each other accountable, eight hours of sleep just getting eight hours of sleep completely changes Mm. your mindset for the day. Get the sleep, find an outlet. Lewis loves running. I love jujitsu and martial arts. We both love lifting weights. Get your workout in every day. Diet, you know, eat healthy, right? Have cheap meals, but in moderation, once a week go out for a pizza burger, whatever, but take care of your health, you know, invest in supplements, obviously invest in your skincare, but you know, the whole package is going to make you feel better. And when you feel better, it's amazing how when I reflect back on investment banking, how, like your mood is so determined by your sleep, right? Just if you're tired, you're gonna get moodier with people, short-tempered, you get into conflicts over stuff that you shouldn't get into. Mm. And I look back on that period where you were sleeping two, three hours a night, just the tiniest things would trigger you. Now you get eight hours of sleep, The amount of fires and curveballs, you know, there was a period during COVID where we were like, every morning we're going to wake up and there's going to be a new black swan event, a new three-month delay. Someone's going to let us down. Um, But you just, you can deal with it because you feel good. You're like, it is what it is. That's the reality. How do we move forward accepting that that's the reality? So really, and we hold each other accountable to that take care of your health
0: our biggest flex is us sleeping it's like how many how many sleeps do you like how many eight hour snaps do you get right and it's like we're always getting seven eight hours so it's sort of like our biggest flex and i would actually say that we have more issues to deal with daily than we did pre-launch during COVID because we're scaling right we have thousands of customers that you know want more products we have ambassadors we have to work with Mm. Um, we have to talk about retail supply chains like these are things that Typically, are extremely stressful, but nothing feels stressful if you've had an eight-hour sleep. Guarantee, if you get that down to five or four, um, it might feel a little different. And there are times where that's going to happen. So, you know, like don't give yourself anxiety about thinking you need to sleep like eight hours, otherwise you're failing, because that's a feedback loop that's not helpful. But realize that in the long run, there are sort of basic foundations. And I love this idea. It's like, you know, before you're the CEO or founder of a company, be like the CEO of yourself right and like what what would a ceo have for himself it'd be like eight hours sleep a meaningful relationship with friends um you know connection with family uh healthiness with respect to food and just like some outlet for joy right that makes you happy and whatever that is you should do that shouldn't be just like one or the other yeah i think it's such an important
2: i think like figuring out what you value you know what i mean like i think that's part of that process is like uh we live in a world where social media paints a a picture of what success should be and you guys coming from silicon valley i'm sure you know that's one of the stereotypes that for probably the two from you know 2000 to 2000 and maybe 14 15 was pretty much don't sleep and you know it still goes on today you hear kind of like stories of elon and Mm -hmm. and stuff like that um but i think like elon is not he's amazing but you know not everybody needs to be Elon, and I think like that is something to figure out. In a sense, is like you don't, you know, there is more than one way to do things, and you can yeah. have success doing it in multiple different ways and yeah. and achieve progress. You know, like um, I think the one thing with humans is is like um, you give yourself what's the what's the is it the law? And it's like you give yourself sixteen hours, and you'll do it in sixteen hours. If you give yourself an hour, you do it in an hour. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you know that's actually something that Elon preaches himself Um, and so the idea of you can achieve you know if like you don't need to just run off three hours sleep you know you can do it in you can have eight hours worth of sleep and if you give yourself um x amount of time to get the work done that you need to instead of saying well no I need to be up at 4am and I need to finish at 12 um Inevitably, you know, if you give yourself a period to kind of get the same amount of tasks done, you, you more than likely can do that. So yeah. it's an interesting one, you know, and I think it's a constant journey. And I think as you get older, you start to value different things. Definitely. You know, like I'm sure that in the early days of of you of you know your your journeys as well, like you know you were mentioning Raúl that you were doing those things, and yeah. and I was too, you yeah. know, and and that's starting to change now. So I think it's a really interesting
0: conversation that. Yeah. Well, I def- can say, I mean, just my 20s in my last startup was three to five hours and I get more done uh, in a day with eight hours sleep than I ever did. Yeah, exactly. And that's because frankly, you're just driven by just like an anxiety that you think you need to keep working. But like the science has proven, like it's like you've got four hours of deep work available to you. And I know people that are sort of like tier ones, you know, like MBA from Stanford that are like, I can work for two hours straight and then I need a break, right? And so you know i think people need to be less hard on themselves and i like what you said about have values mm. and i mean i'm curious to, to see what you mean by that but for me what what's more important than my work or my output or any potential success that we have um, and and you know even just as we have success now is that the value for me isn't the success so when something goes really well or something goes really bad i practice success or failure amnesia because both are just learnable unpackable mm. events What's more important is, like, what's my value system that I look at every day? And for me, what I value is, like, building things, having impact. And that doesn't have to mean that I'm going to Mars. It can mean that, you know, one person messages us on Instagram and say, hey, my skin's clear. I feel good, right? Um, and then help others. Because ultimately, I think it just feels good, like, sharing stories and, you know, helping other people. I think that's, like, a very easy way to feel good about yourself. And maybe for others that's, you know, different. But if you can determine what those values are, then you know build around that not around like a set goal because then of course you'll start sleeping one hour or two hours a night
2: yeah exactly and and look look that i think there's times for that but it's not every day and it's not even every week like it's like there's going to be times where you have to push Mm -hmm. um and that's a reality Mm -hmm. but i think there's also you know you, you like again, understanding what you value. If you're always doing that and that's what you value, then that might align. Now, is it healthy long-term? We know that that's not going to be the case. But I also think, like, you're right. Like, for me, my biggest learning, I would say, over the last three to four years is just understanding what I value and revisiting that constantly so that that I... Pardon? What do you value? Uh, I had a realisation that... And I use just one simple phrase and it's to be the greatest dad in the world. Mm -hmm. And that is in the workplace. So, you know, what, like if my kid was following me around in the workplace... That's cool. ...how would, you know, not, not how would they view me because they're a child. More importantly, how would that affect how they grow up? Yeah. And that it, it's every relationship I have, I think about that term. Awesome. Right, and that's just a really simple way for me to understand who I am, what I value, um, how I treat people how i go about business you know you know like i don't you know like it's like you you know you don't want 20 years later for an article to come out of you know your dad's ripped people off Mm -hmm. his whole life Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean like and it just kind of is like Mm -hmm. this this guiding light. it Mm -hmm. brings me back to and it, it helps me understand what do i value right so do i chase this thing because of what everyone else thinks about me or do i chase this thing because of what my child will think of me And it's just like a massive shift in like okay, you've just had a child, right? We're due in. I'm gonna be a first time dad in.
0: Because really,
2: in in June. So and that's
0: what shifted your thinking.
2: Yeah, for probably the last four years. Awesome. So awesome. Um, but yeah, so it's it's interesting, and that's what I mean by understand what you value. You know, you don't need to be Elon. Yeah, you just don't like. There's mate, you're not gonna be Elon. Like, there's gonna be one of Elon every 40 years. True. And, and you know, but you got to you got to be and you got to understand what
0: you value. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's really important. And there's, there's just like, let alone being Elon, like, there's more than likely you're going to fail, right? On a scale of like zero to one, there are way more chances something's going to not go your way. that You're going to fuck it up than you are going to get it right. So if you're trying to be Elon and if you're constantly failing, that's not going to feel very good, right? But if you have a value system, if you have um, a view to try and improve, then like as you do fail, inevitably those will be unpackable and learnable events. And I think now we're moving away from just like the service-orientated culture where you just have to try and like be in a career. I think young people, as long as they take that mindset, will end up getting paid to do something because they've had that experience. Mm. So, you know, the, the beauty of it now is like if I was like 20, I wouldn't care about failing at all because maybe I'll get a job working like – here at the podcast studio, maybe I'll get an internship with the skincare guys. Because I would rather have a person that's tried and failed at a hundred things than someone that hasn't tried anything, but they're just like a corporate person or they have just like not taken any risk because life is really ultimately risk, right? Mm. And if you don't have like a value system that gives you an opportunity to see that, because we are running out of things to do, right? Like AI is gonna take over. Like, <laughs> yes. just let's just be honest, like that's gonna happen. You need to have some value to share, and that will only be experience. So true. We're going to dive into quickfire. Do Which is,
2: um, you know, uh, you guys have you you guys have listened to a few apps. Yep. Yeah. So quickfire is broad questions, good answers. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know, deep learning at the same time. Do One piece of advice for your younger self.
0: Uh, yeah. Look. Um, Don't worry about the outcome not being exactly how you want it to be. I know you're a perfectionist, but you're not perfect. um, And you're going to get it wrong way more than you think. And that doesn't need to be painful. It doesn't need to be whipping yourself every time it goes wrong. Just go ahead and do that. I love that.
1: I would tell myself, be true to what you want to do not what you think others expect you to do. And that will actually lead to a much more fulfilling journey in life.
2: Where does that learning come from for you?
1: I think that, um, you know, I was the type of person that fell into the sort of, you know, what is expected of me. If you if get good grades, then do this. If you do this, what's the best thing to do from there? Um, And I actually sort of characterise a large part of my career as optimising for the sexiest CV, like to (laughs) to have on LinkedIn just the the dopest brands. And look, it actually did equip me with some incredible experiences in life, um, but it was also potentially not completely true to what I actually wanted to be doing. Um, And even outside of the workforce, just social life, know what hobbies you have always too worried about what other people thought and how that what you chose impacted your identity Mm. reality is people think about you for two seconds a day max (laughs) um no one's thinking about me for most of the time right I'm thinking about myself maybe my mum and dad think about me a little bit more than the average even they I bet probably don't think about me that much anymore either um And so now that I've understood that, I would be redefining my choices based on what I want to be doing and far less worried about the identity that I'm trying to create for other people to care about.
2: Yeah, no, I absolutely love that answer. What advice would
0: you give to someone who's just starting a business? Mm. I think that you don't need as much planning on the... Uh, immense details as you think. Raul will actually add to this, but I think that basically you need to just start. And basically you need to work out really quickly how you're gonna generate revenue tomorrow and ignore every other part of the noise. Because when you start a business, you're default dead, right? You don't have any revenue, you don't have any traction. And if you fundraise, you're even more dead because now you owe people money and now you actually have um, shareholders that you're accountable. So that's even worse in my opinion. I think there are enough tools, enough resources, and enough ways to go to market in a very um, efficient way that you just need to start, and you need to stop focusing on noise and stop focusing on what you think might happen and just go and prove that thesis is ever true or false. Um, you'd say some planning behind the, the chaos, right?
1: Yeah, I would say some planning behind the chaos for sure, but. The other piece I would say, and it's funny because a girl actually asked me this exact question. She works at West Farmers and the corporate MA team. She's been there for three years. She sees what I'm doing. She finds that very exciting and inspirational. How do I start? And what I said to her is just start, side hustle. I think that's a buzzword, but it's actually a great phrase because when you're in the corporate world you think that outside of nine to five you can't do anything that mornings you shouldn't be working evenings you shouldn't be working weekends you shouldn't be working but the reality is with an iphone and a laptop you can start a side hustle whilst you're in that corporate role and you can do that to validate your idea very quickly and as lewis mentioned like it's never been easier to start a website with squarespace Um, It's never been easier to start an Instagram account, take content with an iPhone camera. We all have the tools available to us and the capital available to us to start your idea. If it's an e-commerce brand, you know, it doesn't cost that much. Do it. Do the side hustle. Validate the idea. If it has legs, if it has traction, now think about quitting your job and jumping into it but just get started and accept the reality that maybe your idea is going to fail, but that's okay. Right. Mm. It's fun. That's a part of life. Have a go, invest your money into it. If it fails, reflect on why it failed. Try again. It'll only get better. Mm. We
0: do, we, we actually um, invest in and start like businesses as well. Right. So I have a software company that started as a spreadsheet that I got, Um, businesses to use, and I asked them, would you use this and pay X? And the answer was yes. So then that validated that I needed a software engineer. Find a software engineer, get them to build it. And then you've got what was a spreadsheet that anyone can use to build with free resources online, and you have a business idea. So I think too much exists in the idea phase. Most of what you want to do can be done now with far less resources. And, you know, Moore's law of everything and the rate of technology doubling has completely surpassed. Um, You know our expectations with things like open AI if I was telling someone to start something today. It's like what are? Industries that could use better framing of language and better framing of ideas to just Improve the way they communicate and how can you do that with open AI? You know you don't need to build intense database driven products and I've done all that stuff and it's heavy and it didn't even Work out as, as great as I would have liked and now simple solutions that basically are prettier spreadsheets still need to exist I think now that everyone uses software particularly, there's a need to make things more beautiful. So how can you empathize so deeply with someone that you can give them something that they think should exist? And then what's the minimum amount of work you have to do to give them that? Or or perhaps the most, the minimal desirable amount is a better way to think about it because we're way past the MVP, that's not enough. People expect more, Mm. they expect what they at least desire. And if you can give them what they desire, then you can work out around you who needs to be involved to help that happen.
2: Wow, I really love that that laugh. That was that's that's fire. That last bit. Cheers, man. I think um, I mean, look, that's a that's a whole new conversation. We could probably do another podcast on just where we think the world's going yeah, and, and you know with the business ideas of the future. So, um, I would love to, but maybe we we save that for another yeah. day. Um, yeah. last question: most important trait um, that a founder must have for success and why.
0: Mm. Well, for me, it's, it's very simple. I think if you want to be a founder, you need to have resilience and you need to have perseverance and persistence. And like, I know that's not just one thing, but those traits for me compound and they compound because the more resilient you become, the faster you can take a no from a business executive, from a sales call, from a supply chain and move on. And perseverance is such that if you can survive long enough, you'll find a way to win. And look at Airbnb. Those guys sold cereal to get to where they were. Most companies don't have a simple upward trajectory, Mm. so you just need to persevere. And persistence is important as well because in any environment, people are going to say no to you more than they're going to say yes. And they're not saying no because they think it's crap. They're saying no because it's not right at this moment the best thing for them. And maybe ultimately it never will be, But if you don't persist and ask more people, you'll never get anywhere with the company. Mm. We started a skincare business during a pandemic. Do you have any idea how many people told us we shouldn't do that? Just like everyone, Um, oh, you know, TikTok won't work. No one uses TikTok, and it's like that's our main channel. Like we grow um, really big on TikTok, and it's like oh, it's because you know young people use it. Like. Everyone in retrospect can tell you why something didn't work, but no one will tell you at the time that you should persist. So isn't that kind of like a a weird paradox? Mm. Um, So just persist. So true. Very true.
1: Yeah, I think just building on what Lewis said, it is to be a cockroach. And I think (laughs) the cockroach (laughs) is the best analogy for this for two reasons. Number one, the cockroach is resilient you can try and squash it you can try and kill it but that thing keeps coming back keeps moving i think um brian chesky the founder of airbnb his early investors described him as a cockroach they are like this guy will just not go away he kept coming back he kept coming back and he made it right and so i think that's the first attribute of a cockroach the second one is that cockroaches do not give a shit what you think about the way they look or the decisions that they make, right? They're the ugliest little creatures that have outlived homo sapiens and human beings, and they're here for a reason, right? And I say that because my experience in particular, leaving a good job at Uber to tell people that I was gonna start a skincare brand raised a lot of eyebrows. Even my parents were like, are you okay, son? Is everything all good in your head? friends from the corporate world, like what the hell do you know about skincare? What do you know about, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram? When you tell people about TikTok, they're like, that's so stupid, don't people just dance on that platform? Ultimately, it's because people are not thinking about you for that much. Um, And I think to a degree, especially in Australia, there is a little bit of tall poppy syndrome. When you step out of the cookie cutter mold, and you're a little bit different, people's initial reaction is, how do I sort of cut this person down or how do I challenge their thinking because they're not doing what the herd is doing, right? And so you gotta be a cockroach. You don't care what they think about you. You just have to really realign your self-identity to only worry about what you want to do and just keep moving forward. And ultimately, when you succeed, you see that all of those people look at you with admiration, right? And it's probably coming from a place of fear as well for them, where they go, wow, this guy's just making some crazy decisions. Um, But when it does succeed, then you have people from West Farmers going, can you tell me how you did it, right? I want to start a business. How do you do it, right? And you start to mentor people. So I think it is to be a cockroach.
2: I love that. Be a cockroach. No, preach. I love that. I think it's so important. You know, I mean, it's coming from someone who's running a podcast agency, which, you know, isn't of the norm. So I think, um, no, that's great advice because I think you have to be. And especially, you know, most people when you will tell you to take the the road that's easy to travel when in fact, you know, most of the time you have to take the road less traveled. Um, and most people around you, you know, um, will tell you to be safe and play it safe. Um, and, and inevitably the cockroach meant, you know, that, that as a, as a concept is amazing because I think it provides valuable lessons on what it really takes to start a, and grow a business. Um, cause you're going to get a lot of no's yep. and you're going to get a
0: lot of people saying that you're crazy. Yeah. Can you imagine if, um, you listened to people, if they said, Hey, podcasting doesn't make sense. This is the radio, Right. And you just listen to them. It's just ridiculous, right? You have to... Oh, well, that's what I mean. Like, people yeah. in the
2: early days were like, well, what do you do? Like, and and they still do. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, it's cool. Like, thumbs up and, and so on, but... Watch, watch where this is in five years and then they'll understand, right? Yeah, you know, exactly. I and, uh, I mean, that's probably a big lesson for people because I know that for me in the early days, I probably wouldn't have done it. You know, like, I just would have been like, oh, shit, like, no, I'm not going to do this. But mm-hmm. now that you've been through it a fair bit and you kind of understand it it's a lot easier for you to make those decisions and uh, you know um, not everyone's going to understand and that's why business is probably such a a, it can be such a lonely journey a lot of the time because most people don't understand what you're going through Mm -hmm. the conversations that you have at family events or at events in general that aren't around business owners that's why when you get around business owners you feel at home right and you love the conversations and, and and it's a bit different because most other conversations are and it's not to say that there's anything wrong with those people or those conversations but they're just like having a conversation with someone who doesn't own a business about or isn't in a business or you know and so on is um it can be difficult at times because yeah. you don't you don't feel that connection and you don't they kind of don't understand what you mm-hmm. you're going through, which is the toughest part of starting. Yeah. You know, especially in the early days, you're starting a business and you don't have any other friends that run a business, and nobody understands what you're going through and and the tough you know the the tough slog that it can be. It's like coming out of that, um, you know, you, you you do get some you do have some more stories yeah. you know to tell. So. Um, I've absolutely loved this conversation. Um, Likewise, man. I th- as I said, I think um, it's, I mean, look, I knew that there was something going on under the hood when I looked at the brand because I can you can kind of start to read, um, a little bit into things. But it's been amazing to meet you too. Um, I think you're doing amazing things, um, and I just love the detail that that you got both of you provide in the two separate areas that mm. you do provide it in. Um, So, yeah, I mean, look, uh, as I said, I've absolutely loved the conversation. Thank you. Um, A massive thank you to the both of you for coming on the show. Where can people find the product? Where do they find, um, you know, um, both yourselves individually but also the the product and the brand as well?
0: Yeah, well, it's tomorrowskincare.com and just tomorrowskincare on TikTok and Instagram. I'm Lewis Geisen like the vacuum cleaner but just with a G <laughs> and I'm on a bunch of socials. So I'm really interested to talk to anyone building stuff or that wants feedback on what they're doing. I'm happy to help. And I also want to thank you, mate, because you know, I've listened to your podcast and you know, you've got people that have shifted the needle with Australian brands, right? Mm. And I learned from that. So I'm always learning anyway. So the fact that you're building that community is an important piece for what Australia needs and certainly what New Zealand needs. So congrats on everything you've done and just excited to have, you know, been a small part of of what's, you know, an amazing podcast with incredible guests on it. Humble to be included within them. Thank you very much, mate,
2: appreciate it.
1: Yeah, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Raul Lobo. Um, Add me on there, shoot me a message. Would love to connect with anyone in Australia or across the world. Happy to chat about startups, skincare, TikTok, which I spend, we we check the analytics on my phone, I spend two hours a day on TikTok. So I feel like I know a little bit about it now. Um, But yeah, awesome to be on the the show and had a great time chatting.
2: Thanks heaps, fellas. Marto, thanks for putting this together. I appreciate you and to our loyal listeners, um, we don't get to do this without you. Your support um, is just, you know, uh, I'm so thankful um, and just so glad to be on the journey, meeting great people. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoyed the episode. We'll see
1: you next week. Awesome.